Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. At MidwayUSA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting gear at a price you deserve. Check them out at huntworthgear.com. I'm your host, Adam Miller, with the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And you ever see these guys who are out there in these crazy conditions and you're like, what drives that guy? What is he thinking? Why is he in the woods? Well, today's podcast with Josh Arbogast, uh, you can find him on Instagram as the non-typical, uh, is going to outline kind of where his drive comes from, what he's doing, why he's doing it. And I hope that it'll motivate you guys that are still out there coming to the end of your seasons. And for you guys who, like us in Michigan, are are finished, um, can can kind of put you inside the mind of the guys that are out there. I mean, he killed the one buck in 30 mile an hour winds. And we talk about what in the hell was he doing out there. Uh, but first we got to give a shout out to all the Patreons uh, who support this show day in, day out. Uh, we're going to be doing our giveaway uh, for the fourth quarter uh, here coming up next week. Uh, so just wanted to give you guys a heads up. Um, I will make an announcement on Instagram when we're going to do that. Uh, I'm trying to get everything logistically figured out at this moment. But uh, congrats to Tim Gray, uh, finally on the board over in North Carolina, unorthodox style. Uh, but he's still grinding it out, and uh, nobody deserves that uh, venison more uh, than Tim Gray. And uh, congrats on that one. And then Edwin Finally putting down a crazy buck in Iowa. Uh, congrats, Edwin. 
uh, on that one. But we got to give a shout out to our sponsor. So everything that we do with any sponsor and things maybe changing, who knows? I forget. It's 2023 now. We got to go back and and talk to some of these companies and stuff. Uh, but we don't partner with anybody who doesn't give back to our patreons you know these guys support the show uh if you want to be part of the giveaways if you want to be part of uh the community the marco polo group the the patreon deer hunt all of these things that we've got going on um go to patreon.com for slash bowhunter chronicles podcast you can go uh to our website you can go to our instagram click the links like 17 cents a day and it helps us out tremendously uh not going to make it down to ata this year um got some other engagements uh that weekend but i am going to head out to the harrisburg show because i've not been out there um so we're going to be out there the last weekend at the harrisburg show so hit me up uh, come by say hi uh we'll be around i'll let you know kind of we're flying by the seat of our pants uh out there so it's going to be a new experience for us but it's going to also let us uh you know, meet some more of you guys, uh, have a couple beers, uh, talk hunting, check out some, some gear, see some old friends. So, uh, looking forward to that, but you know, the Patreon community allows us to do all of these things. And, uh, we really do appreciate every single one of you. Uh, today's podcast is a little less controversial than the last two. Uh, lots of comments about the cell phone podcast or the cell cam podcast. Uh, lots of, polarizing things about the uh, poaching podcast um, as far as ethics, the guy behind it. Uh, I just really look at it as hunting stories. And, uh, you know, you we watch all these crime TV shows all the time, and we don't think that that was a good thing. We just think it's a crazy story or what was this guy thinking. So uh, this podcast is a lot more back to what we love to talk about and getting inside the mind of some of these guys that kill these big bucks, guys that are out there grinding and, you know, what motivates them, what things can we take away from that. And as always, thank you guys for listening. Looking forward to big things in 2023. Enjoy the episode. All right, everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast. And this one's going to hit you at the basically at the end of the Michigan season, but there's lots of guys out there that still got plenty of late season uh, going. And uh, we're talking to uh, another Michigan guy here who, you know, right down to the wire, tagged out on bucks this year, uh, public land, you know, going to talk some kind of like solo hunting and, and I want to figure out like the drive behind, like once, once you hear these stories, you'll be like, what in the world? Like, why would you do that? Um, at least th- that's kind of like the way that I am. We're going to talk with, uh, uh, Josh Arbogast. You can find him on, uh, Instagram as the non-typical, um, how you doing tonight, Josh? I'm good, man. How about yourself? Not too bad. I went out with the longbow this afternoon and I was sweating. It was the difference in the conditions here. So I've, I worked like every other day this week. So Tuesday I went out and there was so much snow that like, I was afraid I was going to get my truck stuck and I drove around and I was in like waist deep snow and it was just freezing cold, windy. And then today was 15, 15 mile an hour winds out of the Southwest, like 50 degrees, and I was just sweating mud everywhere. Like it was, 
it's nuts, but uh, it, it kind of goes to like the, you know, the insanity, I guess, that we, that we have with this whole uh, oh, yeah. hunting thing. Um, 100%. Yeah, I, I actually met Josh at the Mobile Hunters Roadshow here uh, over by us. He was, uh, there was a, another guy that was looking for a, a, a ticket and you had an extra one. And uh, yeah. so I actually got to shake your hand. That just kind of tells you like what kind of a stand up guy Josh is. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got an extra pass. Like, so that's super cool. So yeah, Matt's a good guy too. I stay in touch with him. He's pretty cool. We shoot ideas together off all the time. Well, you guys kind of have like that similar, uh, I don't know, drive mindset or whatever. Um, but let's get it like a little bit of like your background. Like when did you like start hunting and like, how were you introduced to it? Like what was your hunting style like growing up? Yeah. So that's kind of funny. Like, um, we were just talking, like I didn't grow up hunting, you know, like I'm from the city and I didn't grow up hunting pretty much. I mean, I played sports and stuff like that, but, um, my dad would take me fishing and stuff like that. So I was in the woods, woods always intrigued me. Um, and then I got in my mid twenties and I was just like, just wanted to take up on it so i just up and decided i was going for it um my i got a chance at my first buck i made a less than optimal shot and it ran off onto neighboring property it was on private land um and i wasn't able to recover it it's my first buck it was a smaller buck but i mean you know the mentality of michigan is a little bit different than a lot of places so i mean i was geeked you know and then i couldn't recover my deer and it was like heartbreaking and then um, I've never hunted a piece of private ever since. Ever since then, it's been all public where I know I'm not going to lose a deer. It's running. I got, you know, a mile to chase at each direction. So it's kind of where my hunting came from, man. All in the mid-20s, it's just been obsession ever since. And so then from that, like, who were your hunting mentors? Like, where did you get your information or how did you... um I don't want to say like learn to hunt, but like the style. Cause you know, right now we've got, you know, all these podcasts and all this YouTube and all this, this information, like where you could just stumble upon it and be like, okay, this is, this is the way that I have to do it. But if you go back, you know, 10 years and, and you're in Michigan, you know, there's the carrots everywhere. There's, uh, you know, everything's gun hunting, you know, every gimmick known to man. And then we all know like what it looks like at that time for hunting on TV. So where, where were you getting your information? So, uh, there was, there was a couple, it's kind of conflicting when you think about it now, but, uh, there was a couple books that I bought. Um, one of them was the Eberhardt book on bow hunting pressure, white tails, um, and then I kind of stumbled upon the beast forum uh, and I did some reading on there. And then, you know, I ordered a couple of DVDs and things like that. And then just kind of cut myself loose in the woods on public for a while. And a lot of it just kind of learned firsthand, you know, just not being scared to lose, I guess. And so those like scared to learn moments, I guess, you know, cause we have all sorts of different people who listen to this show and like, you know, I come at it as like the world's worst bow hunter, um, you know, cause I make all the mistakes still like tonight, I second guessed myself a million times and ended up in the first spot that I thought I was going to go, but I hunted my way over there from where I started. And it was just a, you know, comedy of errors. And those, uh, I guess, what would you say? Like the lessons that you learned, like the most important lessons you learned there out figuring it out on your own. Yeah. So 
a lot of it is like from what I see, for one, I like I'm not scared to bump deer like at all. And I've I've actually went into the woods with like a couple guys that I've met, you know, just hunting public and found in public and they're like, We you know, you're just gonna walk right in there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like how else are we gonna know if there's deer in there? You know, all that sign. One of the pieces I hunt is almost like void of sign. Actually, where I it wasn't this year. That's how I got on the buck this year, but there was barely any sign and you know, it's a marsh and those deer are out in the cattails for 90% of their life. And I'm just, I'm tucked right up on the bedding. I try to get as close as I can without spooking anything. I think that's a big deal. Um, you know, being from the city, just, you don't really see the interaction with those animals. So I think a lot of people that I know that, I mean, you know, from Michigan, it's like people take a trek to go up North every year to go deer hunting. They're going up North, you know, and I think that's where they kind of get the mentality of, you know, they're only going a couple hundred yards into the woods and they're setting up on the first sign they see. And I think you can't be scared to move past that sign and, and kind of write it off as not being important. A lot of times um, you kind of think about where it's coming from, why it's there. You always got to question that. You just can't really be scared to make those moves. You can't be scared to miss a deer. You can't be scared to, you know, of what's what you might not be there for. I guess I should say. I, just sometimes you just got to keep moving past things. It's big for me. And then when you uh, like started there, you know, you said that, you know, you had shot a small buck, didn't recover it. And there was a Michigan mentality or whatever. Um, what was the progression like? Or was it like you found the beast for him? You saw the, you know, you read the John Eberhardt book and you're like, okay, now I got to chase big deer or, because I think like a, a lot of uh, right now there is this, uh, stigma. You know, we did this the podcast about the cell cams, and you know, it's like they're ruining hunting. And that, you know, we obviously have our opinions on crossbows and the orange army, and now we're getting uh, actually data saying that there's more deer harvested with archery equipment than there is with gun. And there's all of these things where we're just kind of like infighting. And I think the the social media looking at like big bucks and like you have to kill big bucks now to be relevant or like for it to be a successful hunt. I think it steals a lot of the fun from, from hunting. You it know? can. Yeah, I think it can. Um, so like I would never down somebody's kill, you know, you see these guys down in people on or harvest, I should say, either, you know, down in people on, on social media and stuff like that. It's not, and definitely I don't I don't agree with that, you know. But I think for me when I when I started looking into these things, it was like, okay, well there is an opportunity to get on these big deer, you know, and they are a different animal and they do behave differently. And that's when I was just kinda like, Okay, you know, I'm like that's what I wanna go after. You know, it was kinda like a personal choice, I guess. There was at one point, um, like after I shot my first public buck that I, I think I I passed on like 26 bucks and, and I ate a tag, you know, because there was, they didn't excite me, I guess, you know, like once I, once I put my first public buck down and it was, a, you know, a bigger deer, it was kind of like, uh, you know, I, I always heard that saying, like, you draw your bow back and it doesn't excite you that maybe that's not for you. You know, I'm not just the guy that's like, well, I, I have to kill something. That's not me. You know, and I, we do the, 
we do the early antlerless hunt, which we have here in Michigan, and I, you know, usually do pretty good, and I'll stack some meat during that, and then I'm, you know, kind of able to uh, be a little bit more selective, I guess. Man, I feel the same way about, like, I shot a doe earlier this year, and then I passed on more bucks this year than than I ever have in years past, and I knew there was better bucks around, like, I'm, I don't know, I, I feel like I haven't shot enough deer to just be passing deer, like, left and right but at the same time i feel like that's i'm not doing it for for anybody else like just to say like oh look at the deer that i shot it's like it's like i want to be able to prove it to myself that i can do it Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. i've never passed deer before like this so it's like well you know i've also not not consistently killing big bucks but they're they're around and if i shoot the first one that walks by, then, you know, I'm probably going to mess it up for the, for the rest of it. And I think there's a, that's probably the reason why I have the longbow right now is because look exactly what you said. Like if it doesn't like excite you when you draw your bow back, like every time there's a deer, cause they're always within like 10 feet of you or whatever it seems like. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know, that, that I'm just like super excited, you know, and it's yeah. like being a, a kid again, you know, that's a whole nother, elements of difficulty that you're throwing in there too so yeah I, I was thinking to myself tonight is like am i doing this just as like an excuse to not shoot anything <laughs> like does it make it i mean honestly because i'm like but it's just so much fun to shoot and, I, and that's i i don't think it's going to be like a lifelong like thing for me but it's just like i just want to kill a deer with one and yeah like that is like then i can just hang it up and just say just to say i did it i think um no i've looked at them myself and i always you know it'll be there for me one day too because i'm on that same path where i'm like i want to see if i can do that right and and that kind of goes into my like my next question from like the and you, you kind of like alluded to it there but like you know we talked a little bit and maybe you can go into it about like hunting by yourself and, you know, you're driving a couple hours from home and, and doing all this stuff now. Um, but like in our, uh, Patreon group, we've got like this ongoing discussion and it always kind of comes up like after each podcast, they're like, you know, you give your thoughts and like some things come up and, and one of the things is like, why are you hunting? Like, what's your why? Like everybody has their own like different thing. Is it for me? Is it for like the challenge? Is it for like whatever? So you starting like later in life, just as something that you wanted to do. Now you're chasing big deer and going out in like these extreme conditions as we'll get into like in a little bit, like, why do you subject yourself to that? Like, what is it deep down that says like, this is, this is what drives me. It's a loaded question. So, <laughs> um, so a lot of it, like you just said, the challenge, um, I've kind of done that with a lot of things in my life. Um, there was at one point I just decided I was, I just wanted to go fly fishing, you know? So I just went and bought a fly rod and I was going to teach myself to fly fish. Um, I decided at one point I wanted to box and then I started boxing and I, you know, I did pretty good at it. Um, competed and everything. And, and then it just, with the hunting thing, it's kind of like, it's turned into, it, it, like I said, I started, you know, on, on private and then it turned, you know, it started with, you know, getting my first buck and then it turned into obviously after what happened to you know, getting a public land buck. And then it turned into trying to chase mature deer, 
and then from there in that aspect of you know obviously we're not seeing mature deer all the time and in michigan you might not see one all year and um obviously mature deer here are different age class and other states too they behave differently and i just kind of um it became the whole thing too you know it's 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 the camping for me it's the being out in the woods it's the scouting all year long it's it's everything together it's not just chasing deer and it's not just hunting to me it's actually just being in the woods so a lot of it is just that that total package of a challenge with myself so with all the other things um boxing uh fly fishing uh things like that and then hunting like i feel like and i know that there's a lot of people that are out there that are that feel like the way that I do and for you starting like getting into hunting later in life it might be like maybe that's like what you're talking about but like i i struggle with like all the social media stuff because um this is who we are <laughs> you know like it isn't like i'm not doing this for instagram or like whatever like I got a bow in my Easter basket when I was five years old. Like I got a shotgun when I was 10. Like I got a BB gun when I was eight. Like this is my life. You know what I mean? And the bow hunting aspect of it to me is like what I love to do. Like Mm -hmm. that's, and it doesn't just stop because the season's over. It's like, okay, now we go into winter leagues and then summer goes into like, you know, getting ready for the total archery challenge. And then, you know, are we going to go out West and then you're scouting and you're doing all these other things just to get ready for the next season. But it isn't because, um, like, well, it's hunting season. So I got to get my bow out of the case. Like Mm -hmm. that isn't it. And so like for those other things, like boxing had to encompass like a large portion of your life, but like, fly fishing or whatever do you feel like they were identities or do you think fishing like hunting now is like this is who i am like this is the deal the 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 boxing yeah it encompassed a big part of my life you know it's a whole lifestyle but the 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 fishing wasn't it was more of like an activity but once i started hunting it does it encompasses your whole life because especially if you want to hunt on a level of you know chasing a different age class of deer or or just just finding them is half the fun right like that's that's half of it right there is just getting on deer and that's um that's tough so that's a whole year's worth of work honestly once january 1st hits you know we might do some of the the tri-county um fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important. 
like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. You know, we have that Tri-County late bow hunt here. I've talked to a couple guys that we might get on some does in that age, in that area, but um, I'm ready to scout right now. Like I'm, I'm done and I'm ready to start scouting and see where they're at. Start scouting new areas again. Um, so it, it is, it encompasses your whole life. Really. I'm spending whole weekends every weekend away there. I don't think there's a weekend that I haven't been away from home since season opened up. And so how does that affect like your like personal life? You said you got a, a girl that hunts and, and all that, like, cause that's another thing that came up like in the, the group, you know, chat is, you know, for, for us who grew up, like the women in our lives, like came into it knowing full well that this is who we are. But if you come into this, like later in life, you know, that maybe isn't always the case. So how, how does that every weekend being, uh, in the, in the woods, uh, affect that? Well, I haven't had an issue with it yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one of those bridges you're crossing, you come to it, I guess. But so far, so good, I guess. Um, I can see where it might become an issue, you know. And I know, like a lot of other guys, maybe yourself, but, you know, I know I obsess over it for sure. I know I'm constantly onto the next thing. I'm constantly looking at maps, trying to figure out where I can, you know, what I missed, basically. And um, it's just constantly it's it's just running through my mind all the time you know so definitely can play a factor and so you said like the deer hunting and camping like i've seen like a lot of the videos and the one you posted the other day uh like on your story or whatever where you were like getting out of the back of your truck and and all that so like you know take us through like one of like uh well like your season this year like as far as like you know, you, you bucked out here in Michigan, public land, like take us through like those, what led up to like the first one and the, in the second one. Cause it, the, the conditions that you killed these deer in, like most guys were at home saying, you know, probably, probably not today. Yeah. There wasn't trucking. And I don't think in either day, really, I don't think I've seen anybody around the woods. So, um, that first one uh, was an area that I scouted back in March, um, and I tried to get to it in the summertime the year before, and it was just way too thick to get back in there. I mean, it, I was just walking in a maze trying to get through thicket, and I just couldn't get back there. So come, I think it was March, um, I took my boat around through open water and tried to get to a cattail cut, and I found a big bed. And it was just a lone tree that I could see out in the middle of a marsh. So I finally found it and there was a big bed back there, um, full of dogwood, you know, it had some, some really good browse in the area. And, uh, that was just an area that I decided to come back to, um, after talking to some other guys that have been in that area for a long time. Cause I do, I talk to a lot of people, local hunters and stuff like that. And, um, after I talked to them, that area is actually produced for a long time on the second transition. Cause nobody goes back in, I guess, as deep as I was going. And definitely weren't accessing it from the water. So, um, which I didn't have to during the season, but that day was, I think like 30 mile an hour winds, maybe 25, but stronger gust it was freezing cold. I think I had a wind chill of like eight degrees that day. Um, and then 
I mean, it just, it just, it just happened that day, which was cool. I have some fresh sign when I went back there and I just kind of set up on it. Got as most cover as I could up in a pine tree. And that's how that one went down. So Uh, I want to go into that hunt, like uh, just a little bit more because from you got to lay it out a little bit better than that because like there's, and you know, not like discounting your storytelling. Um, but like, there's no way that like a guy listening to this is going to be like, well, you know, there was this bed out in the marsh and I thought, you know, I'm waiting for this day. That's 30 mile an hour winds. That's the only day that I can hunt it. Like what in the hell are you doing out there? on that day at that time and like why you know why was the deer there like how did it come to be you know what i'm saying (laughs) yeah so (laughs) i had kind of started stage hunting that area around that area um and i had seen a few good deer i'd seen one um that really interests me but the pressure was kind of pushing me around and I wasn't kind of going back in some of these areas. So when the the wind kind of took a funny switch that day when I was hunting that. And I had been in there one day, not one day, but one time prior. Um, I had hit that area one time before that. And then actually one time, I think, after I was in there too. Um, the wind just kind of set up perfect for that spot where I was. It was blowing like i want to say south would be southeast of where i right where i needed it to and where i saw that that specific bed was i mean this thing was when i went in and found it when i tell you it was like your typical buck bedding area it was just an isolated bed that was at least i'd say about 75 yards from a dogwood thicket so that deer having to come through there, like I knew it was going to take some excessive weather for him to come possibly closer to the thermal cover. It was on the edge of pines. So for him to get out of that bed, I was thinking my thought was that he was going to have to come closer to that thermal cover and that he was going to stop and feeding that dogwood on the way. Um, I was kind of wrong in the way that that all played out because he actually came in behind me and not where I thought he was coming from. But I'm going to attribute that and kind of write that off to the time of year, you know, being mid-November right there, that maybe he was on a doe trail. And I was actually set up on the north side of that trail that I wanted to hunt, thinking that he would come down checking for does. But it's not exactly the way it went down. So didn't play out exactly how I thought it was going to, but still a successful hunt, I guess. Um, But that's just kind of how that played out was the wind was just right for that area. And the way that that area that I was hunting right there kind of sets up is it's a, it's a lake right in the middle of it and it's marsh all around it. So when you get a wind switch puts you on the other side of the lake, not just, you know, over a couple yards or on this side or that side, the way that the access spots are, unless you're coming in from the water and then you've got a couple hundred yards of cattails. So if you're coming down a trail or there's not a ton of trails that run, through there um a wind switch will put you on the opposite side of the lake so i mean i'm bouncing back and forth quite a bit just trying to stay on the right side of the bedding areas on where i think they're coming from and so in that instance you know you're 
you know, in the single digits or negatives with the wind chill and everything like that. Like, what is your gear for, you know, that time of year? I mean, I see you in flannel and all sorts of stuff. Like, Mm. you know, as you're, as you're leaving the house or whatever, you're like, okay, this is, this is probably going to do it. Yeah. No, (laughs) hard headed. Basically that hunt right there actually made me go and buy actual hunting clothes for this year. Um, the past couple of years I've just been in like, um, Carhartt pants, a sweatshirt or, um, flannels never really wore like technical hunting clothing, um, that hunt. And I always wear an uninsulated lacrosse boot too. never carried a Arctic shield boot cover or anything like that. I just dealt with it. That hunt right there put me into the zone of, okay, I need to buckle down and actually take care of myself because I'm. I'm getting past this for sure. I thought for sure. I mean, there was a point where I stood up and like had to stretch. Cause I thought like my legs hurt so bad and my feet hurt so bad that I was like, I'm for sure. If I stay up here, I'm going to get some type of, uh, you know, frostbite <laughs> for sure. So, uh, and you know, just for guys, like for a situation like that, right. So mm-hmm. you're hunting by yourself. It's freezing cold. You're however far away from your house. Like, yeah. what's your out? Like, does who knows where you're at? Yeah, we have that conversation a lot. Like, in our group is like, if you're by yourself and like, like who knows where to come find you, right? Because you you seem to me a lot like the Greg Litziger type, where you would rather die than tell somebody like where your spot is, just in case like you do make it out, right? Yeah. Um you know, there's been a couple times where, you know, like I said, none of my friends hunt. So it's not really a situation where I got people out scouting with me and they know where I am. Um, there's been a couple times, like when I was on your side of the state, um, I went back in some of the, some of the areas where I didn't have cell service and I'd sent my, my old man, like a, a GPS pin and said, Hey, this is where I'm going to be. Um, cause I was out on the boat, you know, on the river and things like that. But there's definitely no out when I was out there that day in the cold. I mean, I couldn't describe where I was at or how to get back there if I tried to, you know, it was, it's kind of a weird spot. I mean, I could show you on a map and you would understand, but if I were to call you and tell you, Hey, this is where I am, there's no way that you would find me. So, so like, all right. Did you think like, okay, well, maybe I need like a spot or like a in-reach or something? <laughs> like, <laughs> It's something that I actually have on my list for next year, um, some type of in-reach. I am lucky right there in that spot. I actually still had cell service. Um, but an in-reach is actually something that's on my list probably for next year because it seems like I just keep getting deeper and deeper into <laughs> away from people. So. It's definitely something that I, I would recommend probably most people have um, if you don't have cell phone service and stuff like that. And there's no guarantee you get out in those cold temperatures, your cell phone starts dying. I mean, I know mine does. Oh, so for sure. <laughs> now that is definitely a useful tool. So you, you kill this buck in 30 mile an hour winds, freezing cold. Um, you get back and it wasn't the deer you were hunting right this was another this is just oh, a yeah, different that, like random so buck, right <laughs> yeah so there was both these bucks were were really first time i had seen them um 
I don't want to say random bucks because I seen the sign that was there and I knew there was a deer there worth hunting. Um, but that spot was, there was a deer that I was glassing all summer long in the fields um, that was coming out. And he was on an area of public land where every year when that um, opener hits, there's a deer camp in the parking lot. And I was watching this buck come out and feed really close to that camp. And I knew he was going to relocate. So I was trying to figure out where that deer could survive away from people. And that spot still to this day, um, even though I never had an encounter with him, there is one of those spots where I still think he could be out there surviving away from people. Um, really crazy because I actually put a camera down in that spot. You guys had the cell cam um, discussion the other day. I actually listened to that podcast. And I did run a couple cell cams this year, really with really poor success. Um, more fun to see deer, I guess, than anything in the off season. But that spot, I seen deer behave really funny. Um, I seen them taking a trail directly behind the camera, even though when I scouted it before I put the camera down, the trail in front of it was what was hot. Um, I actually seen a coyote that day. I killed that deer. Really pretty dog. Um, come out and stand next to that camera and then back up with all fours and go around the camera the other direction and continue on his way. It was crazy. So I don't know that I'll be running cameras next year, but that was, um, that was definitely not the deer that I was hunting. It's just kind of the way it ended up. So you, you kill this deer in this ridiculous conditions, right? And then season goes on most guys i think they say well you know i got one under my belt maybe i'll go out a couple more times like you know so here we are like what day did you kill that buck because it was just this week or this weekend right yeah i shot that buck on monday Yeah. yeah and so here we are day after christmas right and most guys especially with the weather that we had, at least over on our side of the state, like we were, we were still basically snowed in, um, super cold. And you're like, you know what, this is what I'm going to do is I'm going to go camp out. And you know, the, you got to tell the story of this deer because okay. the, the amount so of time <laughs> that this whole thing transpired is absurd. So that deer, um, on, on Christmas morning, I took off, um, I stayed, you know, for some family activity where, you know, you open gifts and stuff like that. And then I got on the road, um, my truck was packed the night before I took off. Um, and I made the night hunt, on uh, that Sunday I saw, you know, a couple does and that was about it. Um, the wind switched and it was right for the other side and it was an area that i hadn't hunted before so i just decided that i mean i like i said i camped out every weekend that i hunted this year so it's 20 degrees it's cold but i got the bed of my truck made up like a camper so fixed my heater and kind of just ran with it and um i woke up that morning and one thing that i don't do is i don't hunt mornings um i hunt opening morning and I'll hunt a morning if I have a reason to, if 
but I think everybody hunts mornings and I just, I've hunted a few mornings where and I, I get a lot of people talk to me and look at me like I'm crazy when I say this, but I don't like bumping deer on public land in the mornings. And it seems like every time I go in, I'm bumping deer. So no matter what time I'm in the woods, I've been in the woods, you know, two and a half hours for daylight, I'm bumping deer. And that scares me to know what those deer are. So I'm an afternoon hunter to the fullest. And uh, I went in in the afternoon, early afternoon, and I went down towards a rub line that I had found in November on another hunt that I kind of rode off as kind of midnight, you know, nighttime sign. I kind of thought it was about 200, almost 300 yards from the bedding probably. And I was going to go check in there and see what the, what the sign was doing. And we didn't have the snow that you guys had on the West side. So we had probably like two or three inches of snow. And I had talked to a couple of the guys over on the West and I know you guys had like seven inches, eight inches of snow, maybe more. Yeah. We, um, we, we had like, I don't know, 17 inches of snow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we didn't have that. Um, but I had enough to track. So as I was going down this rub line, I seen a fresh set of tracks. I cut this track passing through it. It's like that deer is still here, you know? And I just, I kept following that track as I started to come closer to that. And I got still where I was in a place where I would never hunt early season, just being too far from the bedding for, for my liking. Um, and I, for whatever reason, man, I just looked up and I seen this pine tree and these tracks were going past it. I was like, I can get in that pine tree and he'll never see me. And he's going to move because it's 20 degrees outside today. And he's going to follow this track. Like that track is a big deer and he's going to come right past this tree. And at three o'clock he did like early, early in the afternoon, I guess his luck would have it, you know, it was definitely a blessing, but I heard his footsteps come up, come back through the cut. I turned around and he presented himself at 30 yards, took the shot. And, um, it was a roller coaster from there because I fired that shot and I watched that deer and it, I heard the, I heard the arrow hit a tree limb and it was, I mean, I heard it, it was loud crack and he took off about a hundred yards. He stopped. He looked around like nothing happened. He jumped over a log and he continued off. And I was like, I sent the text. I was like, I just missed a big shooter. Like I just missed a big deer. And I gave it 20 minutes. I cocked another arrow and see if maybe he'd come back, you know? And I was like, I got to get down and see if I got blood on this arrow. And I did. And I got down and I had pink lung blood all over the arrow. Like there was no, no denying it. Bubbly lung blood. And I barely had a blood trail. I was like, well, I got to back out because I seen that deer run off like that. I never seen him go down. So I backed off for four hours. I went and I got some food and I just stared out the window watching snowfall cover. I'm thinking it's just covering the blood trail, you know, but I can't. What am I going to do? So about seven o'clock, we went back tracking it. And. Uh, man, I jumped that deer, I think, at like 845. And he, that was his last move. He went about another 50 yards, bedded down. 
I walked up on him and I mean, it's dark, so I didn't bring my bow. Um, and I walked up on him. I actually had to sit next to that deer for about an hour until he expired. I, I really thought, you know, it was just one of those bad moments in bow hunting where I really thought at one point, like I should put him down with my knife. And I was like, you know what? This deer made it this far. I'm gonna let him go out on his own shield. He was tough. I was watching him. Like he was just, he was just a brute of a, of a deer, just a warrior's mentality for sure. So I was like, I'm just going to sit here with him and let him go out on his own shield. And eventually he did. Um, I actually, you know, I quartered that deer up and rolled him over and I got pictures of the entry and exit wound. And I mean, it was almost, it was a good shot. I hit him right behind the shoulder. I mean, touching the arm, it went through his, you know, cartilage right there and wasn't like a heavy quartering two shot. He just lived forever. He just wouldn't go down. So even though I wanted to, you know, go back and get something to put him down, I just I couldn't do it. I, the coy- <laughs> it was like a, you know, like a scene, man. The coyotes were howling in the distance. There was like a whole pack of them. You could tell they weren't that far. Um, it was just, it was a really long night. It was a long night waiting on that deer to expire for sure. But cold temperatures got him to move. I mean, that's what I'm going to attribute that to. You got low hunting pressure at this time of year. They got to feed. Um, and you could tell there was a few places, and I don't know what it was like on your guys' side of um, the state, but we had a really poor acorn crop this year. And when I was coming down that trail and I cut that track and I started following his track, there's just a lot of places where they were digging through the snow. You know, they were trying to dig up those acorns and that's just where he was headed. You know, he was moving away from the ag. There's a, um, a piece of private that's kind of landlocked over that area. I think he's got a food plot over there. Um, according to like when I know when I look on the map, but he was moving away from all the ag and he was just browsing in the woods. So when you, um, uh, are going in one of the questions, you know, so I said, you know, here's a guy who's killing these deer in the late season, like, you know, kind of nasty weather, all this stuff. And, you know, one of the questions that came up was access. And he's like, I don't want to know about like wind. I don't want to know about any of this stuff. I want to know about noise, like, you know, crunchy snow, all the stuff. So like, what are you doing that, uh, you know, especially, you know, in the other scenario where you were going into like right tight to bedding and, and all that, you know, this one was just like, you know, the tree told you like, this is where I got to be. Like the universe said, this is a spot, but. Um, you know, there's times I think where if you don't hunt for, for a living, I guess, you know, if you can't be out there for 60 days or, you know, the whole season, I think sometimes you just got to go for it. If you have the majority of variables in your favor, if you, I'm not saying, you know, go hunt when the wind's wrong and hunt, you know, sit the same stand every day. Cause I'm totally against that. But I think if you're going to go at these deer and you have the majority of variables in your favor, if you're going to make a little bit of noise and everything else is in your favor, I think you kind of got to go for it that day in particular. Um, it wasn't that loud. But to be honest with you, I had so much space from where that deer was bedding. Like I said, I had a couple hundred yards. So before I even got in that tree, 
don't let anybody hear me, but I cut a few small saplings down. Like I snipped them off. You know, I, I wasn't quiet about this because I knew I had some, you know, some margin for error right there. A lot of times I'm, I would never do that when I'm tough, you know, tucked to bedding and stuff like that. And actually the Saturday before that, um, or Sunday when I went and hunted the other spot on the other side of the lake, it was really crunchy and it was, you know, quiet, but it was also windy. I had a little bit of coverage. I mean, so I am mindful of these things, but if I got two days to hunt and the only thing that's going against me is a little bit of noise, I'll just try to get in a little bit earlier. I'll try to be as quiet as I can. But if I got a couple hours to let those deer settle down, maybe I back off a little bit and, just try not to spook them out of there as much as I can, but I'm still going to hunt. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Okay. And then, like, I saw in one of the pictures, like, you're quartering this deer up. Like, what are you using to do that? Like, because, you know, it, it, it was just wild to me to, like, watch that because, like, I think of it like I've not done it. Because mm-hmm. it's like, I haven't been in a spot where I was like that far where, I mean, yeah, I've the, uh, not that, that one was pretty far, but like the other buck, I killed a buck almost identical to that. Um, and it was like a mile, mile and an eighth, mile and a quarter back, but we just walked back to the truck and got a cart. It wasn't like, there was a bunch of us, like it wasn't like that big of a deal, but like out West, like quartering up elk. And like where I've seen people do it online or, you know, in videos and stuff like where you just do like the gutless method and you just, you know, cut them that way. And I guess that's just the way that I always assumed. And then here you are, you got this deer strung up. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I do use the gutless method a lot. Um, I don't see any reason not to other than the rib meat, which I'm not really i don't think you're losing out on that much i still get my tenderloins i still get my back straps um so i I think that it's still a viable option the first deer that i quartered up though was last year's buck because it was also in those same conditions 
frigid, cold, nasty conditions. And I actually had COVID the week before. So I came back from COVID to work on Friday and I brought my bag and I left after work and I went on. And that Sunday night, luck be have it, I laid a buck down. Well, I was just in such poor physical shape after having COVID. I was one of those people that, you know, it hit kind of rough. Took me out of work for like 10 days. But the, as soon I was like, okay, well, if I'm back to work, I'm going hunting. So I went hunting and then I was about a mile from the truck. There was no way that I was dragging this deer, be it with a cart, a sled, nothing. I think I made it about 300 yards. And then I, I sat down on a log and I just, I was cr- so cramped up from being dehydrated. I really couldn't move. So I was like, I got a quarter of this deer. And that's what I did. I caped it out. I figured out how to cape it out, quarter it. And then I was like, you know what? I'm never dragging another deer again when I'm back that far, especially by myself. You know, a lot of guys I think have, have help a lot of times, you know, just got a buck down and, you know, their buddies, maybe will drive over there and, and help them get the buck out. Well, I'm two and a half hours from home. Nobody's coming to help me. There's never a time when I'm, you know, within driving distance of a buddy's house close. So, um, I figured out how to quarter and, you know, um, cape those deer out. That's just kind of what I've been doing. Find it easier all the time. It's even easier on me when I get back to the house a lot of times now. Um, so that deer, I, I did the, you know, the gutless method on the ground where you do side by side. And I've done every deer like that until this last one. Um, I had talked to, uh, Dano at Eastern Woods Outdoors, and they sell a little kit um, that's they call it like the run and gun uh, backcountry hoist or something like that. And it's some, um, it's not paracord, it's whatever the guys are using to pull their one sticking stuff down. I can't remember what it is, but it's a real fine cord mm-hmm. and comes with that. And it comes with a little couple little pulleys. And that's what I use to hang that deer. And it actually, it worked pretty good. I got a few fine adjustments and I actually stopped back by there the other day to pick some stuff up because I'm going to make a little couple adjustments for my own kid. It didn't work exactly like I wanted it to. So I'm going to, you know, personalize it a little bit, but I think going forward, that's how I'm going to do is hang them. I think you get a little bit cleaner cape out of it that way than doing them on the ground. Like I was doing it before. And, um, yeah, I, I love corner them out in the woods. I think it's way simpler. I actually, um, I had the guys over at uh, Custom Gear Modifications make me some straps, and I got like a QU meat hauler that I uh, I strapped to my .5 my tree stand that I use, and I can I can haul out a couple quarters just on the tree stand on the first trip back to the truck, and then I'll grab frame pack, grab the rest. So, so uh, one thing there that kind of goes back to like what we were talking about earlier, you're like, there's nobody that's going to come and help me. Right. Like that, like when I killed this buck here, like I was by myself and uh, Mm -hmm. I did, I called John and he came out and helped me, you know, but like, I, I love, and especially like after this year, like doing the deer camp thing and like, having the like camaraderie of like seeing other people's successes and like being able to share it with somebody. And this was the first deer like in a while. I mean, I, that doe I shot this year was like, okay, but it was, I wasn't like super excited. It was just like, it was cool, you know, but um, like to have it, nobody to share it with. Like when I killed this one, I was like, I was like, yeah, like there's nobody around. Like, so do you have yeah. like a, 
I don't know. Have you always just hunted by yourself? And so that's just like, is it like a mental thing where you're just like, like, like a meditation type deal? Or is it like, <laughs> like, man, there's just nobody that hunts like with you or like none of your buddies do it? Uh, it's, it's a little bit of both. I do enjoy being up there by myself. I like camping by myself. I'll make a fire and sit around the fire by myself, drink a couple beers by myself. Um, I think primarily it is because I kind of started this whole public land hunting by myself. You know, it's kind of the way I picked it up. Um, but it's also because we never, we never had that growing up, you know, like the deer camp thing. Like, yeah, that looks like a great time. Um, and I've met some guys over the years that a couple years ago, a couple great guys that I've met up there hunting that have been going and having a deer camp for like, like 20 plus years. And I'll stop by their camp sometimes and, you know, we'll talk hunting and still like that. Uh, one of the guys actually texted me last night and, you know, where should I go? And, you know, we just bounce ideas off each other and that's cool, but it's all kind of, um, you know, from a distance because it like about, you know, they invite me in there. Hey, you know, I got some duck or something like that. And they'll, you know, hook me up with some food and stuff, but still not like a part of their camp. You know, I'm not like a part of their 20 year tradition or anything like that, but I've just never had that, that tradition of friends that did that, which I think you kind of grow up with that. And I, I want to say I missed out on that, but I definitely missed out on that, you know? Yeah. I, I just asked, like I say, because like for me, it's, I like, I love the camaraderie of it. Like ever since, like I can remember, it was like always been trying to like get people into hunting. Like, like all my buddies that didn't hunt, I'm like, Hey, we got extra bows. We got extra stuff. Like come along and, you know, guys would come and they'd wash out and like, you know, like, you know, people are always like at a, di you know, people are at different levels of like what they're looking for. And especially here in Michigan where you've got the, got to get my buck guy. You've got the guy that just wants to get away from work and go to the deer camp, the guy that just drinks beer. And then you got guys that are like <laughs> yourself who are just, you know, obsessed with it. And you got yeah. guys like me that try, but you know, <laughs> I do. A, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but it, it's, you know, I just, enjoy like sharing the outdoors with other people. But then there's some other people who are just like, this is my place to go get away. Like almost like a job, like I'm here to kill deer. Like I'm not here to have a good time. Like, yeah. You know? Well, I mean, I'm, I, you know, I do kind of have that mentality sometimes, you know, I am, I'm pretty serious about it, but I, I do. I tell all my friends all the time, like, Hey man, you know, don't you, come up and you know do some hunting with me or something and i guess i expect a little bit out of my friends sometimes they're like yeah you know i'd do it like, well come scouting yeah you know i don't want to do that it's like you know i don't want to take somebody that doesn't want to put in the work either that because i work i feel like i work so hard for this and you know i work so hard to see deer and you know it's it's tough here i've never hunted anywhere else so i don't know exactly i hear it's tough here but i've never hunted to see like the how tough it is um, but I know for myself, I may see five deer a year here that interest me as far as, you know, they get me excited. Like I was talking about, and usually that doesn't pan out. So, um, I don't want to waste my opportunities either and spend time with people that really don't take it as serious as I do. Um, 
I can totally see that from like the other side of it. Like for me and you know, you may, you may have this too where guys are like, you know, come hunt with me. I'll put you on some deer or like whatever. And it's like, I totally don't want that at all. Like I want to do all the scouting. I want to learn. I want to go out yeah. there and find it. Like, I don't want somebody to just be like, yeah, there's this, uh, you know, 10 point that comes out every night at this, at this corner, just go sit up there and get like, yeah. that doesn't do anything for me at all. Like there's no way. And I think like when people say that it's like difficult here, I think it's just that they're, you go to other States where there's much different, uh, like quantity of larger caliber bucks, or there's just more concentration just based on, you know, one buck or just like years of like the mentality of like, Oh, we don't shoot small bucks. I mean, like I was hunting out of state in Missouri and ended up at somebody's deer camp. We were right on the corner of Iowa and they had more inches of antler in this, cabin that i you could find anywhere you know within uh, you know a hundred miles of where i'm at here in michigan yeah and the girl comes down and she's like yeah there was two 150s fighting in the road you know just up at the at the corner and she's like i might have shot one of them it had some things and i i said you know i'm hunting you know over here at this public and you know, I'm going to shoot the first Pope and young that walks out. And that was like, the music stopped and they were like, what, why? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, because like, this isn't normal for me. Like, yeah. And yeah, I've, I've thought maybe next year I might, I might travel out a little bit. Um, Missouri was one of the places I was thinking about, you know, the DIY tags are over the counter is not that bad because like you said, Seeing a PNY buck here is, you know, it's like, wow, that's a good buck, you know, and it is, it really is. Um, the buck that I was glassing this year was a little bit bigger than PNY. It probably, it was, I seen it through the glass multiple times. Um, I talked to a local guy whose last two bucks were over PNY. He said that that deer easily went 170. Um, I never got to see it when it was fully grown. I seen it when it was, it was big in June, um, but uh, you know I never got to see it during the season. And you just you, that like that's unheard of. It's hard to leave something like that here. You know you want to push towards it, but I see these guys in other states and they're like, oh yeah, like you said, just antlers, man. You know, just crazy. I watch a lot of you know stuff on TV like Exodus does those white tail cribs and stuff. I love watching those. And you see, go to some of those guys' houses. That's amazing. It's wild. So, uh, but you know, something about me is like, if I had to hunt the same back 40 every day, I'd go crazy. I don't know if I'd hunt. Like I said, it's, it's the, the whole adventure for me. So going out of state is, is really interesting to me. Well, that's one of the things for me. Like I always looked at like growing up is like, and I've said it before, like public land was like a less than. It was like, there's all these guys that were always killing deer, you know, and when you're like a kid, you know, you start hunting at 12 or whatever, and your yeah. buddies are all killing deer and you're out. Like, I didn't know anything about hunting or whatever. And, you know, we had property in the UP, it's eight hours away. We'd go up there and shoot a bunch of does like with a rifle. And 
you know, but all these guys are seeing all these deer, they're killing these bucks. And I'm like, man, you know, public land is a, is a detriment, you know, it's less than there's guys out there and you hear all the stories and everything. And then as I started hunting with my father-in-law, the, there's no property lines. Like you can hunt wherever you want to. You're not like always hunting right up against the neighbors or you're not worried about the neighbors hunting right up against your property or like, you know, your situation where deer runs off, you know, it's just, it's just different. And I think it's, it's, it's kind of sad. I think the way that the, the world, uh, the hunting world and social media and everything is that like public land is this like, badge of honor like yeah did you kill it on public like yeah and it's like it's like you should just go out i think i just feel like people like should experience it not to say that they killed it on public um Mm -hmm. but just to like have the experience of going out there where you can't control the situation like you can you can go away from the other people, but you you don't have like all of the control, and you have like the freedom to go wherever you want to. Um, instead of just saying like you know that it's like cool to do, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, I I get that for sure. I think, uh, like I said, for me, it's it's that whole package. Is you know, it's the hunt, it's being out in the woods, it's woodsmanship and, and stuff like that, and that's kind of what I mean where, like I said, it would, it would almost drive me crazy to hunt the same pieces all the time. Um, but in the same facet, like, like you said, you still can't control what these deer are doing. And we, we just had this conversation the other day, um, me and a couple different hunters, um, you can do all you want, but you still got to kill that deer. You could lay a thousand trail cameras down and this, that, and the other. You can get all the intel you want. You still might not kill that deer. So, you know, hunting is hunting. If you can follow that sign and you can do all that, you know, it's just all personal preference on where you want to hunt deer. I think we were talking about age class a minute ago, too. It's a lot of things people don't think about is in these other states, parcel size. Like in Michigan, everybody's you drive up through you know lower like zone three everybody's got 40 acres and everybody's got a shooting house it's a totally different you know way of of hunting you go to these other states where they may have you know the average parcel might be 100 acres or you know two three four hundred acres it's it's different so um i think that plays a lot into two of the you know the, the culture that we have here so when you're going out and doing all these hunts and stuff we talked about like your camo and stuff but like you were saying about like you know little blood trail all that stuff like what's your your bow set up like what broadheads were you using like that sort of thing yeah so that's something um so i used a um i shoot a v3 um 70 pound bow um i started dabbling a little bit more in the arrow setup and things of that nature and i started Last year, I shot a little heavier arrow. This year, I kind of went back down, still around like the 500 grain arrow mark. And I was shooting iron wheel broadheads with a, you know, a solid, uh, just the iron wheel solids, not the vented, not the single bevel, just double bevel iron wheel solid. And my blood trail, um, it was very faint. And I, something about that deer, he just, 
I mean, I could show you pictures of where I hit that deer and they would be like, well, why did that deer bleed? Um, just a really weird coincidence. Um, have to put some more time into those, you know, broadheads to kind of see, but I'm kind of on that non-mechanical, more uh, fixed broadhead. But at the same time, I'm seeing now, like I talked to a couple guys after this because I've been really interested in like the sever broadhead that I've seen a lot of guys shooting now, the, like the 2.0s and stuff. And they kind of got that rotational deal when they hit bone and stuff. Um, and I'd really like to go to something like that or just experience, play around with it and see how I like it. Because, um, man, I've had a couple of deer on those fixed fixed broadheads. And I, I like what they do because of the places I hunt and the thicket and everything, you know, you, shoot through that thicket a little bit more i would think and but my blood trails have been really really touchy when you think about that like your scenario right like and i'm in the same boat like i've i shot uh i lost a buck last year with a day six arrow or with a day six broadhead and a few years before that i was shooting all fixed like single um like one piece broadheads um, okay. and had really good luck. And then I heard the same things about sever and like talking with Joe miles and looking at the stuff that he was doing and then looking at the Lusk, you know, his tests on YouTube and I shot a Turkey with a sever and I shot that doe with a sever and that the doe went 80 yards and I mean, blood everywhere, but you've got a little bit of the, like mighty ducks thing going with your scenario here. Right. Cause you hit that branch, like quarter of yeah. an inch this way, you'd have missed the branch completely quarter inch the other way with a sever and your arrow explodes and you, you don't get the deer. So it's, it, it's a, it's a tough go, right? Yeah, it is for sure. And um, like you say, you know, you're kind of playing, you're kind of playing the odds a little bit there, which is kind of what I've been doing and kind of sticking with the fixed blade broadheads. Um, and, but I'm of the the thought right now, having going through that Monday that I did my, I did my job with that. And I threaded that arrow through, through some, um, between two branches. Um, he, I stopped him and he stopped right where I stopped him. Um, so I did my job and I did everything that I could have done and I hit him exactly where I aimed. It was not an issue of me not hitting the right spot. Um, so in that scenario, I would have been okay with shooting a, a mechanical. And I don't think that I take those shots that would make you question yourself. Like I try to, to be you know, to take an ethical shot, you know, and it's a toss up, you know, there's people on both sides of each camp, you know, you read these pages. I, I really just started getting into the archery side, like the, like the actual archery side of it, not just grabbing a bow, like you said, going on um, within the past couple of years. And, you know, you read all these articles and the heavy arrow stuff and this, that, and the other, but then you talk to guys that, um, that are actual archers. I talk to um, Rob all the time and, you know, he's, he shoots and he, uh, he's, he's like, man, 400 grain arrow, <laughs> you know, it's going through it. If you do your job, it's going through it. 
So I, it's a toss up on that. I, I don't know. I'm, I got a lot invested into the arrow setup that I got, you know, and, but if I can get a little bit more out of an expandable, a little bit better blood trail, if that deer would have ran into the cattails there at day, or if I didn't have snow, we might not be having this conversation right now. Like I'll say that if I didn't have snow and some of the blood did get covered up. Cause like I said, I let them sit for four hours and there was fresh snow coming down and covering that blood. But every time he stopped and bedded down, he was bleeding. He got up. He wasn't, this was not a high shot. This came out low. So he, uh, if, if he would have ran out back into the marsh or, it might've been a different story. I mean, I was following small tracks of blood at times and I used to shoot, um, the slick trick too. And I've had that with the fixed slick trick too, um, where I just had a little bit of faint blood trail, but that first deer I shot that I wasn't able to recover, that deer was bleeding everywhere. And that was, I shot that with the, um, I shot that with the rage. You know, that was, and he was bleeding everywhere. So it's a toss up. I'm, I'm not sure where I'm at and what I'm going to keep doing or where I'm going to go next year, but those severs really interest me. Yeah. A little bit different. Time. There was such a good, I mean, there's been tons and tons of good reviews and from like reputable people who kill tons and tons of stuff that, and, and like, you know, Joe miles, I love what he's doing because he doesn't, he's not like sponsored by anybody and he's doing tests and all that stuff. And then the Lusk archery guy, you know, he's saying, just send me three broadheads if you want me to test them and I'll go through everything and I'll, I'll rate them against every other broadhead. And those severs are like the top. So yeah. it's, it's hard to beat, but I'll tell you, you know, I hunted with them this year, but then like after like the, well, the second day of the season, I went out and I was hunting on the ground and I was like in all the CRP and I put a fixed blade. Cause I was like, you know, yeah. I'm, if I got to shoot, I'm going to, I'm going to hit something inevitably. And so it's either going to be grass or it's going to be one of these thick stalks. And, you know, yeah. So like the, if I was hunting from the ground a lot more, that that's a, that changes everything, you know, but a lot of times I hunt and geez, that's kind of why I kind of stayed with that fixed blade too, is, there's times when I'm out in the middle of the marsh with, you know, in a tree that's you know that big around and uh, that deer is still walking through it down a cattail trail. So not that an expandable is going to expand when it hits a cattail or something, but you just, you shooting through something and that just kind of, you know, that plays it with your head a little bit. Like I'm shooting through something. What happens if it expands, you know, and that's kind of where, I, where I've kind of sticked with the fixed blade, but, I don't know, man. <laughs> you know, it's it's touchy. It's a lot more tuning involved with the fixed blades. You know, it took me a long time to get those. Just switch to those broadheads this year. It took me a long time to get them right. And you know, it's kind of like you know, you're there. You got it set up now. You're you know, you're shooting good. And it sucks to have to change something. So I don't know if I'm gonna. But like I said, they really interest me. So yeah, I was curious because it sounded like like. Mo, uh, most guys, I don't, and I don't. Uh, most is a bad example, a bad word, I guess. But there's a lot of guys, and like with our experience, like the one guy that, that hunts with us that shoots the single bevels. You know, he killed. I think it was 
last year, two years ago, he killed two bucks on opening morning with uh, a fixed blade, single bevel broadheads. The deer didn't even like. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. Know that they were hit. And he watched one fall over and then he thought he missed the other one because it didn't even react and yeah. went over there to, to find his arrow. And it was, you know, passed through the deer, stuck in a log. Like, so they had a two hand pull it out, but there was Same no, but there was like no blood trail. Yeah. And um, so then he went and ended up finding the deer just because it only went, you know, 60 yards or something, but. You know, and it kind of sounded like this, a similar thing. And like, that's with a, with a single bevel head, like, it seems like the, that, uh, tissue is like closing back up, you know, it opens up on rotation and then it, it closes back up on the outside. But, you know, the ranch fairy, he says it doesn't matter because they went 70 yards, they're dead. Like you didn't have to track them. Kind of like the same thing. My brother and I were just having this conversation about the 450 Bushmaster. Like people complain about no blood trails or whatever, but the deer just, there's so much internal trauma that they only go, you know, Mm -hmm. 70 yards and then they're dead. Well, okay. But you get this, like that, like that deer I seen, like I said, I seen him run off, like nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with me, I had to pull that arrow out with both hands, you know, and it came out with bark on it. And I'm shooting a bleeder blade on that too. It's got bleeder blades. So yes, the deer died. Like, yeah, the deer died. This one held on. Like I said, he held on a long time, but he didn't go necessarily that far after he left my site. But where did he go kind of plays a um, a factor in that too. Like if he would have went out into an open field and I'd have been able to see him and, you know, when he was made it 300 yards, say that's one thing. But if he goes out into a marsh and he's jumping and making his own trail, something you can't follow, or he rolls down into some dogwood when you, you know, it's really thick and you can't see it. Um, you know, that, that kind of changes the game a little bit when you don't have blood, you're trying to grid search something. It's that's when you start getting nervous, I guess. Cause it's, yeah, it's dead, but where's it dead at? Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. It's just, it's strange. Like how that, anatomy or whatever works of, you know, obviously, yeah, you know, we should all use like the giant grim reaper three blade, you know, (laughs) but it just doesn't, it doesn't always work like that. And I think everybody like anecdotally has either done it themselves or like has a, but like, I've got pictures of guys like my buddy shooting a deer with a rage, like quartering away but the blade opens up like on its haunches and it rips it open, like wide open to all the way up to the front leg. And then you have guys that shoot a deer perfectly with, you know, a thunderhead or whatever. I mean, hell I've done that. And, you know, it was just a touch high or just a touch back and it's just a wet arrow. There's no blood. There's no nothing at a full pass through. And yeah. it's just, it's just crazy how it, how it works. And it's like, we, I think at the end of the day, we have to understand that like we're and it. Maybe it goes back to the, the cell cam podcast, but like as bow hunters, like realistically, like we're using inferior equipment. Like if we, if we wanted to just 
kill deer as efficiently as possible, we'd be using like high powered rifles and scopes or, you know, something, something bigger. So it's, you can't second guess yourself that much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you brought up that 450. Um, I shoot a 350 and I kind of got on that, you know, I like the rounds, you know, low, low recoil and everything. And it does the same thing that 450 does. I've never had a good blood trail, maybe one out of a 350. You know, and uh, I talked to a couple guys up. Um, one of the guys that hunts the same area I hunt. He's a local up there, and he uh, he shot a nice ten point with the three fifty, and it ran off into the marsh and no blood trail. They looked for it, nothing. He never recovered the deer, and it's just like so. You you kind of play those odds on okay, but what's the, the like almost good? Like what's my best option? You know, like not what's the best option. What's my best option for this scenario? I guess it's just, it's, it's tough kind of almost area dependent or if we were all professional archers and could hit a dime. Right. I mean, and, and nothing bad, whatever happened, but I'm not, you know, I shoot my bow as much as I can, but I'm not perfect like the rest of us. But you talk to like, uh, Taylor Chamberlain and those guys that are like, doing those urban hunts where, you know, you, you get a deer that doesn't die within, you know, a hundred yards, like you're fishing it out of somebody's pool or, you know, you're paying for pool cleaning. Right. Or like Andrew Walter, when he was talking about the, like the urban hunting, like where they were doing like the deer removal, you know, going into these cities, you know, they're using rifles and they're doing all headshots, you know, and, yeah. and they're using small caliber rifle headshots. That's, oh, yeah. that's what they're doing. So, I mean, the, the guys that are, I don't want to say like doing it for a living, but the guys that are, you know, hunting 300 days a year and killing, yeah. you know, you know, triple digit deer every year, they're using rages and things where they're going to get a yeah. lot of blood loss quickly, you know, and, there's got to be something said about, you know, to be said about that. Right. For sure. Because those guys got a lot of more seat time than the rest of us, you know? And even if, even if, you know, we do our due diligence and, and we go out, we practice our bow on a target every night, everything changes when you're in the woods. Right. So it's like, you can hit that, that dead center every, every night when you come home and fire five shots after work or however you practice. But the minute that you go in the woods and that deer just turns a little bit, when you're only killing a couple deer a year, if you're lucky with a bow, as opposed to these guys that are killing 100, 200, you know, whatever these guys are killing. I mean, they're, like you said, they're eradicating deer from (laughs) from urban areas. So they got all that sea time. They know how these deer are going to react a little bit better than us. They plan a little bit further than us in their head with a shot. It's so to hear the things that they use, I guess, is makes you think, I guess that's where I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, you, I don't think you can just like write it off as like, well, those guys are just killing deer in somebody's backyard. So it doesn't really matter what they use and they do it every day. So they get a ton of opportunities. And now it's, there's a lot more that goes into it than that. Right. No, hundred percent. You got to consider their experience, you know, the amount of, the amount of time that they get to spend. It's not of the aspect of like, well, they get to do it every day. You know, it's like, okay, well, what can I learn that they've learned mm-hmm. because they do it every day, you know, and to hear that he shoots, you know, a high, di- high cutting diameter broadhead, 
that's it means something mm-hmm. yeah so that it was just interesting to me like that how much that paralleled like a a single bevel broadhead like in kind of like what what we've seen too with uh with things like that so you said you're running a 0.5 like what do you are you like lone wolf custom gear all the stuff with sticks and everything yeah yep um i've ran uh i, I ran a saddle for a couple of years i've had two different saddles i've i've tried everything pretty much on public that's you know bouncing around trying to figure out a system for myself and uh you know, like a lot of guys, when I started bouncing around on public, I started with like a lone wolf assault, you know, the original lone wolf sticks. And then I eventually I cut them down. And then I started with, um, I went to a saddle and you, know, you brought up, uh, Drew. I started running wild edge steps and things like that. Um, so I kind of all went that route. And then once I started getting deeper and deeper into like swamp territory and stuff like that, um, the tree stand kind of worked better for me. So I went back to a tree stand and started fine tuning that a little bit more. So the, the point five, I found a guy selling one used and I picked it up and it's what I've been rolling with ever since. And just because I think of the guys that hunt out of the point five, like differently, okay. <laughs> just, just for whatever reason, what like, Tell me about it. well, it just seems like, they all hunt super low. So that, and I don't know why I have that like in my head, but it just seems like that's because that was like another one of those things that became like a cool thing over the past couple of years. You know, I think once like, um, like Cody was, you know, talking, well, I only carry two sticks and this, that, and the other, I think everybody was like, Oh, I only need to carry two sticks, you know? I mean, you know, as well as I do, everybody jumps on the bandwagon every couple of years. Something comes out, and these guys jump on it. New idea or um, just even th- that's my explanation for that. But I th- do think that that tree stand works well in that situation. But just as much as the next stand does when you're, you know, hunting in between a, a you know, a crotch and a tree or something, it's whatever. The only thing that I found for me that didn't work in a swamp, like I, like I said, I've killed out of a saddle what i found that didn't work for me was the one sticking thing which i thought was the coolest thing when it came out and i started watching these guys do it. i'm like oh that's awesome i don't carry one stick the first time that you drop that 35 feet or whatever rope down in the water as you're repelling down you got to roll it up dry it out the next day you're like okay yeah no this is better suited for the hills or something <laughs> but yeah i've got one i haven't messed with it um john wanted to try it and I found one that someone was selling used and I was like, oh, I'll pick it up. And I got all this stuff, but like, I, you know, honestly this year I've hunted so much off the ground just because of like the train that I've been hunting in. And then like when I go out and like when, it, when I was in Ohio and hunting like, you know, three or four B sticks up and I got some cable aiders, like, I don't really think I need to get, much higher than than that and the places that i was hunting and you know i've got movable aiders and stuff like that but sometimes it just lays out like i hunted like you were kind of talking about like in a pine tree i hunted in a pine tree this year where i was like maybe six feet off the ground but it was just one of these like white pines that went up and then there was like a hub of branches and then there was an open spot and it was like i can just tuck in right there like that's way better than like trying to get 
skyline and get 20 feet up over here you know yeah so 100 percent. so like you say the cable aiders i love cable aiders you know i've done like the the webbing aiders and stuff like that all year long the most i carried was three sticks and cable aiders i do carry like a movable aider like a three-step in case something sets up like that but it's rare i mean i that probably thing probably stayed rolled up the whole year just and i don't carry a backpack like we were talking, you know, going back in the woods, probably something I should do. I should probably take water with me, but I don't, I don't take snacks. I don't take water. I don't take anything, man. I take that stand and that's, that's about it. I fill my pockets with what I can. And if it don't fit, it don't come. But, um, you know, some of those trees, like you're saying too, is like, uh, I hunted a tree this year where you said you were like eight feet off the ground or whatever. I mean, same type of deal opening weekend after opening weekend, I seen a deer come across right out in the open doing something that you would never think a deer would do. Like I was set up on a transition and he came behind me out in the open. He actually ended up winding me, but he was, I mean, when I say out in the open, he was out in the open in the middle of the day. So he winded me, ran back. And, um, the next day I went over, I moved over. I'm like, if he comes down that same trail again, I'm going to sit that tree because if I watch him, if I don't sit that tree and I watch him come out, like I'm going to kick myself in the butt. Right. So I'm, I'm making that move. I'm adjusting over. And when I did the only tree over there, which is the one that he was standing next to when he went me was a, a little, like a little man. It was almost a sapling dude. Like it was, you know, the bolts on the point down the doubles, the bolts fit around that tree as I was climbing. <laughs> so I strapped <laughs> The, the sticks up and I climbed up there and I had some gear ties and I took the gear ties and I moved the bushes kind of down next to me so that deer couldn't see me. And it was, it was probably only like 10, 12 mile an hour winds, but I was blowing everywhere. And I had a couple does come past me and they eventually, they eventually seen me, but I didn't see that buck again. But, um, I've hunted in some goofy stuff too this year. And that's kind of where I think that the, the stands, shined a little bit for me over the saddle it's kind of went back to the stand because something like that i think i'd had a lot more movement in the saddle um being a tree that's you know four inches and five inches in diameter or whatever it was but no ground cover there for me to do something like that i actually got up that morning and drove to pink connie which was man it was almost two hour drive to buy a damn ghillie suit to come back and try to get that deer on the ground but the one that i bought was at a Dunham's and it was like reflective almost. So when I got it back, I took it out of the truck in the sun and I was like, oh, there's no way I'm putting this on. It just shined. It like shimmered. So I just grabbed the stand and went at it that way. So being a guy that went from a saddle back to the tree stand and that sort of thing, do you think like from what you see social media, like guys around in, in the one sticking thing too, do you think guys like, get too invested like they're like they said saddle hunting is the greatest so like i'm gonna just stick with it and i can't like they say well i love my tree stand like but i'm not going i'll never go back it's like they just have fallen too far oh 100 percent, absolutely like and i i also think even though like i i have i have a arrow hunter saddle and i i got a TX5 too. And I've ever, I've only actually used that TX5 like a couple times during a hunt, but I will not get rid of them. Um, for one, cause I love that arrow hunter. Um, 
TX5 too is really nice, but it's they're tools, right? Like you hear guys say all the time, like it's another tool in your toolbox. And they they really are because never hunted out of state, but my thought for those saddles is like when I do go hunt out of state or even like northern Michigan area when we were talking about, you know, Pigeon River and stuff like that, you get into those big timber woods and something that I really I don't want to say I shy away from, but it's not the areas that I really gravitate towards. Um, but if I do end up in those areas, I think that those are really suited well towards, you know, trees and that terrain and stuff like that. Um, but the areas that I hunt, I'm hunting right now are just more suited towards that tree stand. So they all have their place for sure. And even I just haven't found the benefits of the saddle for me personally in my area over the tree stand. I feel like I can do everything out of the stand that I could do with the saddle, but I can't do that vice versa, which like that pine that I shot that buck out of on Monday, I couldn't have got a saddle at that pine. I wouldn't, I would, I would have had to excessively cut that tree up, I guess, to make it work. So it worked out the way it should have. Yeah, I can see that, but well, all right, man, I'll just wrap this up here. Uh, so if people want to follow along with you or they got questions or they want to, yeah. they say like, you know what, I'm feeling generous. I got an in reach that I got to give to somebody. And I think this guy's going to die. Um, where can they get a hold of you? <laughs> um, they can find me on Instagram, the non-typical, um, I'm on there all the time, dude. I'm always talking to people about hunting and shooting ideas off people. I'm like I said, man, I'm a young man and I'm just trying to learn still. I'm progressing. It's like everybody else. So always down to talk hunting. Always. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on and, and chatting tonight. And, you know, congratulations, obviously, on uh, a hell of a appreciate season it. here in, in Michigan. So Appreciate it. Thank you. Offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Four in the morning.
Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky.